Hello, this is Father John Arthur Orr, Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. In our last program, we finished up beginning the ninth article of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. There are 40 articles in the Catechism of the Catholic Church summing up this ninth article of the Creed. Today, we'll go through the 4th through 17th of those 40 articles. The Church is in the world the sacrament of salvation, the sign and instrument of the communion of God and men. The Church is in the world. What does Jesus say? We are in the world, but not of the world. The Church is in the world, the world created by God, the Church founded by God to proclaim the glories of God. The sacrament of salvation. What is a sacrament? A sign instituted by Christ entrusted to the church to give grace. And here Mother Church is saying she herself is a sacrament, for she is founded by Christ, for she was founded to give us the grace he won by his death and resurrection. The church in the world is the sacrament of salvation for all people. Maybe not all approach the saving waters, or not all are able to receive well the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist. But all can behold Mother Church, Christ her founder, the saints. It's a universal sacrament of salvation. The sign and instrument of the communion between God and men. A sacrament is a sign, something visible, an instrument. We have musical instruments. We have surgical instruments, all sorts of tools. Mother Church, God's tool for our salvation that we might hear the gospel, that we might believe the gospel, that we might ask and receive the grace of God. Why did Christ found his church? So we could have a link to him. That's why he came, to establish the link between heaven and earth, us and God. Christ Jesus is given for us, so to redeem from all iniquity, all sin, and to purify a people who belong to him properly. Titus chapter 2 verse 14. We belong to Jesus for he bought and paid for us the price of his blood. We are his people of old prepared in Israel. You are therefore a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, an acquired people, a people set apart. St. Peter's first letter chapter 2 verse 9. This reference Mother Church sees as referring to herself. All of those who belong to the church by grace and faith, by baptism, the chosen race. A royal priesthood. What is the priesthood but to offer worship to God, to be a people of prayer, a holy nation? If we are sons and daughters of the church, sons and daughters adopted by God, we are called to be a holy people, an acquired people, the people of God. We enter into the people of God by faith and baptism. All men are called to be a part of the people of God. So wrote Pope John Paul II in his letter, Christi Fidelis Laci, on the lay Christian faithful, Article 24, so that in Christ men constitute one single family and one single people of God. So says the decree on the missionary activity of the Church of the Second Vatican Council, Ad Gentes, Article 1. 
when we enter the people of God by faith and baptism, if we are baptized as infants, it is the faith of the church, it is the faith of our parents, it is the faith of the assembly standing up for us, inserting us into that body of Christ. There are those who would say, oh, let the children decide on their own. Well, if we are to be consistent, then we should not take them to the doctor or send them to school until they choose so on their own. But how many would recognize in that parental malpractice, malfeasance? Our children would die of God knows what childhood diseases, and how much learning would be stultified. Let them go to the doctor. Let them go to school. Let the little children come to me, says Jesus in the gospel. The church is the body of Christ. By the Spirit and his action in the sacraments, above all, in the Eucharist, the dead and risen Christ constitutes the community of believers as his body. Christ has died and Christ has risen. In the sacrament of his death and resurrection, the Eucharist, his body, blood, soul, and divinity, he gives us his very self. And we're made members of his mystical body, the church. In the unity of this body, the church, there is a diversity of members and offices. All the members are bound to one another, particularly to those who suffer, are poor, and persecuted. So whether we're old or young, rich or poor, educated or not, male or female, all of us, members of the body of Christ, diversity of members, diversity of offices, not all are prophets, not all are apostles, not all are pastors, not all are teachers, but all brothers and sisters in Christ. In the unity of this body, there is a diversity of members and offices. All the members are bound to one another, particularly to those who suffer, are poor, and persecuted. Here I'm reminded of a phrase often mentioned a preferential option for the poor. This does not give us permission to despise the rich, but it reminds us that when the Lord came to save us, he was poor, he was persecuted, and he suffered that we might be saved, that we might be made rich in his grace and mercy, that we might be preserved from the eternal sufferings and persecution of hell. The church is the body, Christ is the head. She lives of him, in him, for him. He lives with her and in her. Here we see the complementarity between Christ himself and his bride, Mother Church, his mystical body. The church is the spouse of Christ. How many different names do we see for the church? Spouse of Christ, body of Christ, people of God, visible and spiritual, the assembly of God. The church is the spouse of Christ. He loves her and is given for her. He purifies her by his blood. He has made her the fruitful, fecund mother of all the sons of God. We cannot have God as our father if we do not have the church as our mother. We cannot say yes to Christ, but no to his bride, Mother Church. Christ and his church are one. May we all find ourselves within her bosom. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
The spirit is like the soul of the mystical body, principle of her life, of the unity and the diversity and the richness of her gifts and charisms. Later, when we speak about the sacrament of confirmation, a, spe a special sacrament of the Holy Spirit, we'll focus on the sevenfold gifts. But even in baptism, we are given the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, the theological virtues, faith, believing in God and all that God has revealed, hope, a longing for heaven for ourselves and our neighbors, and charity, love for God and for neighbor and for self, as God would have us do. Each of us by our baptism are temples of the Holy Spirit, but the church wherein we are baptized is herself the temple, the dwelling place of the Spirit. The scripture reminds us that we live and move and have our being in God. This is true, of course, also of the Holy Spirit, who is one with the Father and the Spirit. So the universal church appears as a people who pull their unity from the unity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This passage of the Catechism is taken from the Dogmatic Constitution on the Church, the Second Vatican Council, Lumen Gentium, Article 4, citing that Eastern Father of the Church, St. Cyprian. The next four articles present us with the four marks of the Church. These are given to us not unlike a trademark for Burger King, for McDonald's, for Nike, for Rolex, for Adidas, you name it. If our corporations have distinctive markings or logos or signs to identify their wares, are we to believe that we are more clever than God, who founded, who instituted, who set up, who established his church? The trademark God has left for his church, unity, sanctity, catholicity, apostolicity. In the creed, we pray that the church is one, holy, catholic, and apostolic. The church is one. She has one single Lord, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. She, Mother Church, confesses one single faith. She, Mother Church, is born of one single baptism. She does not form but one body, vivified, given life, by the one single spirit, in view of one unique hope, that's heaven, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, at the end of which she will overcome all divisions, all will be all. The church is holy. God, the most holy, is her author, her founder, her origin. Christ, her spouse, is given up for her sanctification, washed in the blood of the Lamb, who takes away the sins of the world. The spirit of holiness vivifies, that is, gives her life. Even though she, Mother Church, is comprised of sinners, she is without sin made of sinners. Sancta sed semper reformata, holy but always in need of reform. Some are shocked. Oh my goodness, how can you have sinners there? Read the genealogy of the Lord. There's quite a cast of characters. Even in the apostolic band, Judas, hand-picked, hand-trained by the Lord, yet he betrays. While it is important how we begin, it's also important how we end. The difference between the saints and the sinners is repentance. The saints are not them who never sinned. The saints are those who repented their sins. May we be among them. In Mary, Mother Church is again all holy. 
We celebrate each December 8th Mary's Immaculate Conception, how she was preserved from the first moment of her conception from every stain of sin. The Church is Catholic. She announces the totality of the faith. The word Catholic means universal, and so when we hear totality of the faith, it means all the faith. She carries in her and administers the fullness of the means of salvation, not only baptism, but the other six sacraments as well, the whole canon of Scripture, the whole creed, the whole package. She is sent to all peoples, not just to North America or not just to East Tennessee, not just to the Western Hemisphere, but for all peoples. She addresses all men. There's no one to whom Mother Church does not speak. She speaks for God to all. She embraces all times, not just the last 20 minutes or the last 20 years or the last 200 years, but since our Lord walked the earth, since our Lord gave the keys to St. Peter, and who's holding them now? Benedict XVI, reigning in Rome. She embraces all times, even prepared for of old, with Moses and David, Israel. She, Mother Church, the Catholic Church, the Universal Church, is by her very nature missionary. Here the Catechism quotes the second article of the decree on the missionary activity of the Church of the Second Vatican Council, Agentes. Mother Church is missionary by her nature for her founder, Christ the Lord, missionary sent from heaven to earth to show us the way to heaven. The gospel was brought to the new world by the missionaries who accompanied Juan Ponce de Leon. The church is apostolic. We see the root of the word apostles here, apostolic, apostles. One who is an apostle is one who is sent. And the eternal Father sent the eternal Son to save us. And together the Father and the Son, they send the Spirit. And the Lord Jesus has sent the church to the four corners of the world to teach all nations all things whatsoever he has commanded, even until he should return in glory. The church is apostolic. She is built on the durable stones, the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 21, verse 14. She, Mother Church, the apostolic church, is indestructible. St. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. The gates of hell will not prevail against her. She, Mother Church, the apostolic church, is kept infallibly in the truth. Thanks to St. Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3.15, we know that Mother Church herself is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is truth incarnate, the way, the truth, and the life. Infallibility should never be confused with impeccability. Impeccability, the inability to sin, this is true of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is true of his blessed mother by his grace, which he gave her. The bishops of Rome, the popes, 
the vicars of Christ. They are not without sin, nor are they preserved from any and all sin, except the sin of heresy. In matters of faith and morals, infallibility refers to these things, that the bishops of Rome and those bishops united with and under them teach the truths of faith, teach the truths of morals, without any admixture of error. This, by a special grace, a special blessing of the Lord Jesus. He who hears you, hears me. And the one who spoke that is Christ himself, truth incarnate, God who neither deceives nor can be deceived. Christ governs Mother Church, the Apostolic Church, by Peter and the other apostles, present in their successors, the Pope and the College of Bishops. Just the other night, I had some friends over, and they were admiring a picture I have. It's a chart, really, little cameos of all the popes, all the bishops of Rome, that line from Peter to Benedict XVI. In my own lifetime, I've seen Benedict elected and John Paul II elected and John Paul I, who was pope for about a month, and before him, Paul VI. Paul VI was the pope when I was born, but there have been 265 bishops of Rome. Normally, we say 264 successors of St. Peter, but the bishops, bishops throughout the world, like the Bishop of Knoxville, or the Bishop of Nashville, or the Bishop of Memphis, the Archbishop of Miami, the Archbishop of Washington, the Archbishop of Chicago or New York, these are all successors to the apostles. Our Lord left twelve, and now there's more than that. Thanks be to God. This way, the Church of God is governed still through the successors to the apostles. It's important for us to remember that it is the College of Bishops with and under Peter. The Bishop of Rome is the head of the College of Bishops. I have a different picture, a different chart, which has a snapshot of the Collegio Episcoporum, the College of Bishops, present at the Second Vatican Council. There are about 3,000 of them. Pope John XXIII, Blessed John Twenty-third. his picture is on the top left. He opened the council. And on the top right is Pope Paul VI, who concluded and began its implementation. And beneath those two are all the cardinals who were present, and beneath them, arranged by continents, the bishops of the world. Coleman Carroll from Miami, Karl Wojtyla from Krakow, Fulton Sheen from the United States, all the little bishops present, with and under Peter. If we're not with Peter, if we're not under Peter, we're not with Christ, who gave Peter the keys, who had Christ as head of the college. Peter, who spoke for the twelve, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Lord, we have come to believe. Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter still leads Christ's church as we all await his return in glory. The unique church of Christ that we profess in the symbol, the word symbol is another name for creed, 
how she is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic, it is in the Catholic Church that she exists, governed by the successor of St. Peter and by the bishops who are in communion with him. Even though numerous elements of sanctification and truth subsist outside of her structures, here, the Catechism of the Catholic Church cites the Dogmatic Constitution on the Church of the Second Vatican Council, Lumen Gentium, Article 8. There are two $5 words here, exists and subsist. They're very much related, interrelated. The one holy Catholic and apostolic church exists in the Catholic Church, governed by the successor of Peter, that is, the Pope, and those bishops in communion with him. That's the good news for the Catholics. And further good news for all our neighbors, there are numerous, that is, many elements of sanctification and truth which exist, which subsist, outside of the visible structures of the Catholic Church. How many God-fearing, Bible-believing Baptist neighbors do I have, or Methodists, or Episcopalians, or Anglicans, Lutherans, Pentecostals? They love the Scripture. They worship Jesus as Lord. This is definitely an element, a means of sanctification and truth. That these means of sanctification and truth exist outside Mother Church is not to say that we should be content to leave those outside. When the Hindus or the Buddhists recognize the natural law, we give thanks to Almighty God. But when they do not know yet who is the author of that natural law, when they do not know the one only God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom we worship and adore, as do our Jewish neighbors, then we have our missionaries' task cut out for us. All truth leads to the first truth, who is God. All truth comes from the first truth, who is God. The God who says, Thou shalt not bear false witness, who tells us to honor the truth, to love the truth, to seek the truth, to live in truth. These pearls, these elements of sanctification and truth which subsist, may subsist, outside of the visible structures of the church, lead back to her. If we are well within the bosom of Mother Church, we give thanks to God. And having received this great gift, we know that much is expected of us. Whom will we invite this week? There are some who would look at Mother Church as if she was only a spiritual reality. We know that she is a spiritual reality with the Spirit of God as the life principle of Mother Church. But she is not just a spiritual reality. She is also visible, just like Christ our Lord, true God and true man, not just human, not just divine, both together. When we say that Mother Church is both visible and spiritual, we affirm this reality. The Church is a hierarchical society. There's one Pope, there's one Bishop of Rome, there's one Bishop of whichever diocese. There are the deacons and the priests who assist the bishop. There are the religious, the monks and the nuns, the brothers and the sisters. There are the lay people, married and single, infants. This hierarchical, this ordered society is the mystical body of Christ. We welcome this mystery, the mystery of faith, the mystery of the church, the mystery of the incarnation in faith. We thank God for the gift of faith, 
not only faith in him, but in all that he has revealed, all that is revealed in sacred scripture and in sacred tradition, all that is taught us by the magisterium, the teaching authority of the church. We thank Almighty God for our many brothers and sisters who are such by their baptism in water and the words. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We thank God for the gift of baptism ourselves, that we have been washed and saved in the blood of the Lamb, born anew, made temples of the Spirit, given that priestly and prophetic and royal call from God to worship him alone, to speak his truth in love, and to govern ourselves and our spheres of influence according to his holy law, again by his grace. The law of God is none other than the love of neighbor and the love of self, as God would have us do, but loving God above all things. He who is love, who has made us in his own image to love, this is the basic most teaching of Mother Church, that communion of love, mirroring that eternal communion of persons who is God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let us all thank God for our part in this assembly of God, this convocation of his holy people. Let us never cease to learn from the sacred scripture of all the prefigurations in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the gatherings of the people under David and under Solomon, the return of the people from exile, as we are reminded by the prophet Jeremiah. How many marvels. Each time we turn to the sacred scriptures, we learn something new about our faith, what God would have us believe, about where he longs for us to go, about what good he wishes us to do or evil to avoid or repent. All of these things and more, the Lord speaks to us day by day, if we turn to him, if we let him, and we speak to him when we pray, when we lift our hearts and minds to him, exercising the spirit which he gave us in baptism, the spirit of faith, the spirit which lets us cry out, Abba, Father, Jesus is Lord. Let us be more and more committed to being a people of prayer. For if we are a people of prayer, then we will be the holy people of which the creed speaks, one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. Let us be zealous in spreading the faith, no less than zealous in living it ourselves. For the more and more we are committed to Christ and his cause, the more attractive that is to our neighbors, to our brothers and sisters, who have not yet come to know Christ, the one only God, with the Father and the Spirit. Let us remember the missionary nature of the church and let us play our part, at least by praying for those who go where the gospel has never been heard and praying for those who will hear the word that they might accept it into their hearts and act accordingly. The patroness of the missions is the little flower, St. Therese de l'Enfant Jésus in the Holy Face. This woman never left her cloister once she entered, except now some hundred plus years since her death. She has 
left on missionary journeys, and the people flock. St. Francis Xavier, who poured the saving waters of baptism over so many, his prayers only effective because of the hidden secret prayers prayed in cloisters and convents, chapels and homes throughout the world. God gives strength, give power to their words. God soften, tender the hearts of those addressed. Until next time, God bless you.